0: Welcome to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. In Luke 24, Jesus told two of his followers that the entire Bible was about him. Yet their reading of the Bible had not actually prepared them for Jesus. Sadly, the same thing is still happening today, even in churches. This podcast is an invitation to reread the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, to unbind it. From the many ways it's been misread and misapplied. I hope you'll join me. Here we go. In this introductory episode of Unbinding the Bible, I would like to begin by simply introducing myself and why it is that I've decided to do this particular podcast. My name is Joshua. I am currently an Anglican priest in Washington, North Carolina and have been in pastoral ministry for over 10 years. I absolutely love to read the Bible. I love it that God's given us uh, His Word in a form that we can understand and that we can grasp, and for whatever reason, the more I read it, the more I'm aware of its awesomeness and beauty and power, and yet at the exact same time, I become increasingly aware of many, many ways in which people have misunderstood the Bible, misunderstood the gospel, um, have chosen to read a book with particular ideas in mind for the best way to interpret it, have made those decisions, have stuck with them. Sometimes that leads them to make good decisions in life, and sometimes it leads them to make very poor decisions. Both... um, come from someone actually reading the same Bible. And that's confused me for a while, but it's been really refreshing to simply continue to go back to the same Bible over and ask, how are we reading this differently? What preconceived ideas are we bringing to the table when we approach the Bible? And sometimes that makes people uncomfortable, particularly people in churches. They like to think that because the Bible simply says something, It's therefore very, very easy to interpret it and to know exactly what it says. And if you begin to question ways that the Bible's traditionally been interpreted, then that must mean that you are liberal somehow in the way you are approaching things or that you don't take God's word seriously. And I really don't think that any of those things are true. They might be true. Um, I can't speak for every person who reads the Bible in a particular way, but what I can say is that the Bible itself is one large unified story that is pointing ultimately to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's an easy thing to say, but it is oftentimes much more difficult to see that entire story the way the Bible tells it in a way that makes sense of the world um, in which we live. And so what I would actually like to do is I would like to start in a section, not at the beginning of the Bible, but actually one towards the end, it's um, at the end of, of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 24, what the Bible would I think unanimously declare as one of its high points, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And a conversation that Jesus gets into with two individuals who are incredibly discouraged because of all the events they just watched happen to this person they thought was going to be the Savior. And I'd, I'd just like to walk through a couple of things from that passage because the simple fact that I say sometimes two different people or groups of people or three or four can read the same Bible and get very different interpretations from it isn't really anything new. And it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't necessarily discourage us. Because what we see in Luke 24 are two men whose lives are extremely discouraged. Simply because they had chosen to read the Bible in a particular way, and the events that happened to Jesus with the crucifixion and his rejection and his suffering and his death and all of their dashed hopes is not at all what they thought was going to happen to their Messiah based upon their reading of the Bible. And so You know, Some of these podcasts, I might encourage you to listen into what I say. Sometimes you might want to grab a Bible yourself. I I am a preacher, and so my tendency is to invite people along with me so they know I'm not just making this up. But I will do my best to just recognize that some of you might be listening to this in the car or while you're doing the dishes or or somewhere else, and you might not have access to a Bible. So in Luke 24, starting in verse 13... um, On the same day that Jesus has been raised from the dead and has greeted a few people already, here's what we read. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you flip ahead just a few verses in Luke chapter 24, Jesus not only has this conversation with these two men, but he then meets up with the rest of his disciples And he sits with them for a while and he eats with them just as he actually does with these two other men. And we might take a a look in a future podcast at what happens during these meals. But Jesus, in speaking with the remainder of his disciples, say to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, there are quite a few things that I would love to point out about these verses, and I'm just going to limit myself to a few. The first is this. Jesus turns to his 11 disciples who he meets, and he says to them, Thus it is written. And then he proceeds to say that the Christ should suffer and that he will be delivered over um, on the third day rise again. He, it says, he opens their mind to understand the scriptures and says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, if you're familiar at all with the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John use this phrase, thus it is written. And it's typically a phrase that begins right before the author decides to quote a particular verse, a particular passage, a particular statement from the Old Testament. So, thus it is written, You shall love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Something like that. But here, you would be hard-pressed to find in the actual Old Testament any statement like the one Jesus is just now giving. You can look high and you can look low. And some people have tried this and don't make much sense of it because Jesus isn't quoting a particular verse or a particular sentence or a particular passage. No, actually he's doing something far different. He's saying, thus it is written in all the Old Testament that the Messiah, the ruler, the king, the one in power, will actually suffer and die. And here's what I think is the most fascinating and yet troubling at the exact same time idea about what's happening along this, this, this road. The two men that Jesus meets on the road to Emmaus said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And what I find most fascinating about this is that these two men conclude That because Jesus suffered, was rejected, and was killed by the religious leaders, that he is no longer the one who is to redeem Israel. In fact, as Jesus proceeds through the story, it says we had hoped he would redeem Israel, and yet as Jesus is now revealing, that he is showing them that the fact that he suffered, was rejected, and died was how he did redeem Israel. And so with the two men on the road to Emmaus, the same passages in the Old Testament that led them to believe their Messiah would rule and would conquer and would defeat enemies and would set up a reign over all people and that the Jews would come ushering in and would find salvation next to Jesus, most likely expressed as a defeat of the Romans. This view of reading the Bible that led them to see conquering and victory and satisfaction and power and authority and rule, Jesus is looking at the same passages and is saying, if you had read them differently, if you had read those same passages rightly, they would have prepared you for a suffering, rejected, crucified and risen again, Messiah. And so all of a sudden, this throws you and it throws me, if we are honest, humble interpreters of the Bible, this raises one gigantic question. And it is this, how can we read the Old Testament wrongly? You guess you could skip over that question and ask, can we do it? And I think Jesus is saying, yes, you can. In fact, lots and lots of people did just that but I would like to just bring up a few. I mean, we can read the Old Testament like it's a giant rule book. Many people do this. They, they don't like the Old Testament. They think it's boring. They don't think it's relevant to them today in our age. And maybe this has always been the case, but I'm nearly 40, but as long as I can remember, people have been very, very concerned with making the Bible relevant, making it applicable to me in my own personal situation. And so a lot of times the parts of the Old Testament that people don't like are the parts that they don't see as personally relevant to them. But everyone is aware that somewhere tucked in the Old Testament, although not everyone can tell you where, is a list of the Ten Commandments. And then there are other laws that get embedded in places like Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. And so, it's a long and complicated book. It might be able to give you some nice rules to live by. If you really want to dabble in the Old Testament, but you're not real comfortable with it, you might go as far back as Proverbs, because Proverbs at least has some nice, pithy little, easily understandable statements. You can stick them on a refrigerator magnet. You can put them on a card on your dashboard in your car and remind yourself to listen more frequently than you speak, and that would be a good thing to do. And so a lot of people look at the Old Testament like kind of like a grab bag. It's a grab bag of rules, don't do this, don't do that, do this, and life will go better. Some people view it as a history book. It's the history, the nations of Israel, and a a account of their ancient battles, or the kings that reigned at certain points, or some occasional miracles that show up throughout the Old Testament and that these are nice things to remind yourself of, um, but they don't exactly know how they connect with each other. Some people view, maybe because they read the Proverbs, maybe because they know of a few catchy statements that they hear God say, that that the Bible is kind of like a big quote book. Um, you, you, might, you might conclude this if you walk into a lot of Christian bookstores today who have taken some really nice, pithy, catchy quotes and have sewn them onto uh, fabric or blankets or pillows or put them in a nice little picture frame. And they can serve people really well, particularly if you know the passages where those statements come from. They are rich. They're powerful. They are the words of God to people. And yet read just like a quote book, as you might use if you had a a resource that you wanted to pull some fun quotes from. You look up a topic, you, you, you go to the place, you find the quote, you pull it out, you apply it to your life, but it doesn't pay a lot of attention to the story, what's going on, where those passages come from. You might also read the Bible like it's a giant book of morals that you are supposed to adopt in your life. And because stories grip people's imaginations, we go back and read a story like David or read a story like Samson or we read a story about Noah or Moses or Abraham and we recognize courage, bravery, fear, anxiety, doubt, trust, and on and on. And we, we recognize, well, those would be good things or not so good things to have in my own life. So I'm gonna try to be courageous like David or I'm gonna try not to doubt the way Abraham did at some points of his life, but at other points, he really showed faith and he did it in a great way. And so I need to be able to do those things. Now, granted, those are true. And, and there are parts of reading the Bible this way that are good, but solely as a book of morals to follow, you run into the trouble of saying be like David, be like Moses, be like Abraham, don't be like Samson, mm, don't be like Jonah, be like Daniel. And then you simply come to Jesus in the New Testament and it's more of the same. Be like Jesus, be like Paul, be like Peter. And the trouble is that what Jesus is saying needs to happen or has in fact happened is a gospel message. It's one of hope. It's the way he chooses to redeem his people. And so to read the Old Testament only as if thinking it's there to point out what you need to be and what you need not to be is to actually misunderstand a lot of its intention. I think one additional way, and I may be pointing out others as we go along, but one additional way that that I happen to see quite a bit today is basically looking at Old Testament Israel as a nation and in attempting to make its application relevant for today, many people will sort of catapult right over Jesus and want to apply ancient promises made to Israel and apply them to promises that they hope and wish that God would make on America. And viewing his dealings with one particular nation— And some people's claims that America has established itself on Christian principles, that must mean that God's relationship toward America as a nation is similar to his relationship with Israel as a nation and therefore promises, prophecies, things that applied once to Israel can and should now apply to America. And what Jesus is actually doing is he's saying that each one of those individual ways of looking at the Bible falls well short of what the Bible is actually doing. The Bible is actually a story. It's a story that begins with the creation of all things, and it points us ultimately toward a renewed creation that God is going to one day restore and make perfect for everyone. Every individual, every family, every country, every nation, the entire planet, every race, every ethnicity, finds its place in this big story. And so no individual one way of reading the Bible is going to grasp that, at least like the ones that I had picked up that I just mentioned. And the reason that is, is because in Jesus, we actually come to understand what it means to be human, what it means to be the people that God wants us all to be. And so I'd like to end this particular podcast with just a quote from N.T. Wright. Some of you may know about N.T. Wright, but his perceptions, I think, are worth pondering. And this particular one is one that I have found particularly helpful. He says this, "'These disciples, like everybody else in Israel, "'had been reading the Bible "'through the wrong end of the telescope. "'They had been seeing it as the long story "'of how God would redeem Israel from suffering.'" but it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. Through, in particular, the suffering which would be taken on himself by Israel's representative, the Messiah. When Luke says that Jesus interpreted to them all the things about himself throughout the Bible, he doesn't mean that Jesus collected a few or even a few dozen isolated texts, verses chosen at random. He means that the whole story from Genesis to Chronicles, which is the last book of the Hebrew Bible, pointed forwards to a fulfillment which could only be found when God's anointed took Israel's suffering and hence the world's suffering onto himself, died under its weight and rose again as the beginning of God's new creation, God's new people. This is what had to happen and now it just had What is most fascinating, again, about what Jesus is saying is that we need to go back and read the Old Testament with him in mind, to unbind it, as I shared in the introduction, from the many ways it's been misread and misapplied. And we're gonna be all over the place. We're going to look at reading the Bible as a book of literature, looking at the different genres and how to be faithful interpreters of the Bible. We need to allow the Bible to speak to us in ways that it is actually being intended to communicate. And I'll show you simple ways of understanding it. I'm not an overly complicated person. The intent of this podcast isn't to burden you under new weights. I will show you things that I think are very, very helpful, walk you through them, Would love to hear feedback if there's anything like that that you would like to share. But Jesus is here as he comes proclaiming to set up the kingdom of God. And it's a kingdom that actually begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And it's when God creates man and woman in his own image and commissions them to rule over the birds of the air, over the fish of the sea, and over every living thing that creeps on the ground. And so from the very, very beginning of the creation, everything points toward God creating mankind in his own image and setting them to govern, to rule, to have dominion over his perfect creation. All along the way, though, particularly when a serpent comes and tempts the first man and the first woman about how they are going to go about ruling the earth. From this point on, God is interested still in redeeming and restoring his creation back to the way it was always supposed to be, but he has only fallen broken individuals with which to do it. And so the biblical story, and we'll look at this in more detail, is ultimately here to point out that despite what we think and what we see, that what Jesus is telling his disciples is that life comes through death. Weakness overcomes strength. Foolishness overpowers wisdom. Dependence supersedes independence. Ruling means serving. That people are blind when they think they can see they're crippled when they think they can walk and that power is best displayed through mercy not coercion Jesus is coming his redemption is aimed at the salvation of the world but the way he brings it about is by showing us what it truly means to be a human being made in the image of God one who genuinely has his or her heart transformed to such an extent that we begin to resemble Jesus himself. There is no stone that will be left unturned in the human heart when you come face to face with Jesus. Nothing. And so I'm thankful that you're a part of this podcast. I'm thankful just to be able to share some of these thoughts. We're going to stumble our way through all over the place, but It's a great place to begin is how Jesus is introducing us to these concepts. And I'm just thankful that you're along for the ride. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to hear more, I plan to release a new episode every Thursday going forward. And hopefully we can learn some things together about the Bible. Have a great day.